Hi, and welcome back to the Think Business Podcast, supported by Bank of Ireland. Over the next 10 years, hundreds, if not thousands, of baby boomer business owners will be looking to retire in Ireland and pass the reins of the business on to the next generation. What plans should they be making now to make sure that it's not a messy succession? I talked to financial wellbeing expert Frank Conway from MoneyWiz about preparing for an ideal succession. Frank, one of the biggest shows on TV at the moment now is Succession, and it's about American media family and all the hijinks around ownership of the company and the future ownership and director direction of it. It got me thinking, I read something there recently that suggested to me that Irish, Irish, Irish businesses, Irish SMEs are facing a bit of a succession time bomb when it comes to owners of companies for the last 20 or 30 years need to start looking at who's going to take over. It's not always the case that the kids in the family are going to take over. What about your existing management? Have you given them equity? Do they have the financial wherewithal to actually do a management buyout or management buy-in? All these things are in my head. And if we're thinking about, say, people who've been running a company for the last 20, 30 years, they're about to retire and they're worried now who's going to take over. I suppose to ask you from a financial well-being side of point of view for a business, what kind of things should a business owner be bearing in mind right now if they're looking at that point where they may not be retiring this year, maybe not retiring next year, maybe five years down the line, but they want to know that when they leave, whether they sell the company or they pass it on to another generation, how they're going to fare with that. Well, I think the biggest issue for most companies and, and perhaps business owners, and this even comes across even small, normal SMEs or even farms, for example, the issue begins with a tax question often. And I think there is a fear factor, and this goes back to the whole area of financial knowledge, the fear factor is around what will it really cost in order to do this. And it's not the cost of actually getting the work put in place to make sure the succession happens, but it's actually what would, could be the tax implications on that one. And that's one end. The other end is that there is a very emotional side to all of this and for, for example people who have built up businesses for the last 20, 30, 40 years they have huge tie to that and if they have survived and through a recession for example they have an enormous financial emotional stake in that and to think around the area of maybe that succession issue is acknowledging that we are mortal uh, and beyond that then that question of, of who will get it and, and it becomes an, an emotional discussion within families for example perhaps young Younger family members may not want to go in that particular direction, and that is kind of the era we're in today. We're in an era where younger generations want to forge their own identities, in many cases, out of necessity or maybe out of culture, and so that discussion may not have happened within the family. Maybe they don't know how to have the discussion within the family, and there's a fear factor around all of that. And I think the starting point is to sit down and maybe decide what the owner themselves wants, maybe to understand what the cost implications are of doing it and particularly of not doing and planning and the third one thing is then having the discussion with either the family members or the management team within the organization to decide exactly how that's going to be distributed out but the the, the risk always is that if they don't have thought this through and perhaps considered what they want to give to management for that time and working working in that organization this becomes an emotional issue in terms of maybe other family members feeling that maybe they're giving too much away maybe that they're entitled to more even though they may not want themselves to become involved so the structure often is lacking I think maybe that the starting point is maybe understanding how a plan will work out and often we don't acknowledge how quickly time will pass either that you know 10 years time will come very very quickly and that sometimes succession planning can take three four five six years even from a tax compliant perspective and particularly around farms for example there are many years that are tied up in terms of making sure that people are involved in the business and then that will remain involved in the business as periods go by. One of the interesting things that we're, I've seen in recent years was uh, 
particularly from the technology world, the pressure to have more share options made available in companies. And I know the government two or three years ago did a scheme. It wasn't didn't get a great, huge take up. They've since. Uh, uh, redesigned that scheme in the last recent budget. It suggests to me that we're maybe only at the beginning of a proper share ownership structure in Irish companies and if that is the case, what should companies be thinking about? Yeah, I think when it comes to share issues, I think there is a cultural um, kind of uh, black hole in terms of the knowledge. I think the experience generally in Ireland is that when it comes to the concept of shares, um, it, it, people first of all have a very negative feeling towards it. Ireland does not have a long history of dealing with shares in any way, shape or form and where they do where families may have bought shares in certain organisations because there was a, a kind of a euphoria around it and then there was a massive disappointment. I think that's one part of it. I think the second part is, again, it goes back to the area of financial knowledge, is that often even what I see within companies, even companies who just simply give away shares at discounted pricing, for example, that people may not fully understand the tax implications around that, there may not be a buy-in to that. Even if we take a very simple concept like pension contributions, for example, which is a proxy to shares, there is massive non-buy-up to that in Ireland because simply people don't understand the costs around that. So when it comes to shares, there is a complexity around that and that complexity perhaps often isn't explained enough and there are likely to be certain tax implications. But equally, I think what also happened during the recession and perhaps now that we're moving out of that, there was also a question of whether companies could survive or honour the agreements or whether the company would actually be there or not. And then within the companies, the one thing I find often is there is an enormous reluctance to give something away because culturally we're simply just not there and then when it does come to company owners that may have to look in terms of offering the share options themselves most companies aren't particularly interested so you've got a gap in both ends a gap at the company owner end again going back to the point I made earlier but also at the employee level where they're thinking maybe I won't be here long enough for this and we are very much in a culture now where there is a much higher rate of gig economy lack of employment certainty so people are perhaps thinking you know, you've got to be very nimble on your own feet. Companies have moved away from offering the types of guarantees that we would have once had. We hear the narrative very publicly now is that you've got to be very sharp in terms of your skill sets and continuous education levels. So I think we are moving away from the concept of somebody say, will there be something there for me long term? And if there is something there for me long term, who's a controlling stake in that? Could this share, could I be bought out of that in the future? So I think lack of certainty, and I think also the experience of the last 10 years where there was an enormous global meltdown in terms of many, many companies around SMEs and everything else, I think there people will ask whether or not there is a buy-in option that is really there. So I think those are the difficulties. So if the guarantees aren't necessarily there, the points of entry must be very, very easy. If they're complicated, people will often say, well, perhaps it isn't for me. So I think it is at the legislative end, at the tax end, I think government needs to make it much easier, much more cost-effective and much simpler. You mentioned their mortality and culture, and Ireland being largely an agrarian culture and a lot of family farms are in the same predicament as businesses. At one point you're talking about income levels not being the same as maybe they used to be able to support a family farm, but the same point is when it comes to financial well-being, when we talk about mortality, we talk, you know, it's emotional issue when we talk about making a will. Um, but when it comes to family farms and succession, how, 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 do you, how would you say, what was the best practice in your mind for how 
families particularly should go about this? Well, the, the normal thing is that there are enormous tax benefits for a, a son or a daughter taking over the family farm, for example. So the tax authorities have made it much easier there where they write down the value of the property. So most farmers will know that. The issue beyond that, and these are cases I see on an ongoing basis where a farmer may have 80 or 100 or 200 head of cattle milking, which is quite generous and can be quite generous, and they have done okay between the grants and everything else, that in those cases I see farmers who will say to me that they have their son or daughter may have no particular interest in going into farming. They want to pursue other careers. Now they've got a real tricky issue for farmers in saying, can they move beyond the immediacy of the son or the daughter inheriting the land and running the farm to something that which might be much more dynamic, a kind of a shared ownership of, of sorts. And there is a growing discussion. There is a narrative I hear in the market, I see in the market, I talk to farmers in the market. And that is perhaps broadening out the long-term return on farming potential by bringing in somebody who is non-family. And so that is a very difficult one to bridge. It is perhaps really treating the farm now as a business model rather than a family title issue. And that's the difficulty for many people. And there are farmers running farmers for example, who may not be as as uh, as, as efficient uh, at maybe on the uh, balance sheets and on the profit and losses, but they're driven emotionally around that. So I think farms themselves, whether we like it or not, if they are to survive, have to be treated as a business. I think the inheritance side of it has to move beyond the immediacy of family, and I think the tax authorities have to work with them on that basis, but that discussion and that mindset will have to shift away from, is it just a son or daughter that's going to inherit this? The tax authorities have made it easy to do that, but the running of that, people may have other careers, they may be great scientists, they may be great writers, and they may want to move beyond. So, And the idea of the part-time farmer, whether or not that will survive long-term, We've got the Mercer deal that is coming down the tracks, that is opening up of the markets in Ireland in terms of other competition, whether they close that back up or not. Reform of CAP, for example, will challenge farms. And maybe on the other side, they will just simply pay us just to have land on reserve. And if that's the case, then that discussion doesn't have to happen. But I think from a business perspective, farms must be treated as businesses. They have to be profitable in order to survive to a certain level. Whether the Europeans continue to give us the grants is another issue. But I think we have to now shift the mindset away from from what is very much an emotional issue in any culture, not just in Ireland, but in the United States, across Europe, particularly in Ireland, where the ownership of land was often a mark of stability, maybe respect within the community, continuity, to saying, actually, can we have a, an operating business model that can work? And that will need maybe new thinking. And I suppose just finally, uh, on a personal level, wills. We None of us like to be reminded of our own mortality. And even whether you run a business or not, succession, inheritance, these matters. We probably will press on this in a, big, in a deeper, more deeper dive in a future podcast, but just in terms of a rule of thumb guide to making wills and thinking about how you should be thinking about wills in your life. Yeah, so the rule of thumb generally, as I would say to anybody, um, when children arrive, there should be a will because the law becomes very complex. So, for example, the inheritance of property, if somebody were to die suddenly, for example, becomes much more fluid and much more complex and people misunderstand, even in the case of where there is a married couple. If one of them dies unexpectedly and there are two children left behind, then a will is necessary to ensure that the surviving partner will get 100% of the assets that they, that's built up in their house, maybe built up in the bank accounts. Otherwise, there's a distribution formula that's out there. But often, you know, maybe to give you maybe some idea in terms of actually how people approach wills, a couple of weeks ago I was with a lady aged 75, and she had just done her will, and then she said she cried enormously after that. And it's an emotional thing for people because it goes back to the whole area of the feeling that this is the end of my life. 
Whereas, in fact, what I would reposition that and say, well, actually, no, you should be doing it at the very beginning. And then you go on and live the rest of your life without having this hanging over. Because if you care about people that, you know, there are people that you love and you care about them, what you will want to make sure is that anything you leave for them is non-contestable within the, 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 the framework of the law. The law is it offers tremendous protections for people who are due to inherit land or due to inherit bank accounts or due to inherit property. So the first thing is that we need to move away a little bit from the mindset. The second thing is become more knowledgeable. But the third thing is wills are extraordinarily cheap. And so just to sit with the solicitor, it means you have to sit down, get your affairs maybe on a sheet of paper, decide who's getting what, have an executor, so you may have a conversation with somebody, and then just simply go to a solicitor. And the important thing is that wills can be changed on an ongoing basis for a very minimal amount of money. So people often don't understand what they cost, they don't understand the process, and in some cases, particularly maybe with older generations, they may be associated with death, whereas it's not that at all. It's actually with living and protecting those that are living. And then the final point is actually making the appointment with the solicitor and maybe paying the 150 or 250 euro in terms of what they cost. Very simple process, but it offers enormous guarantees for any amount of financial security that you want to leave behind to individuals and particularly, particularly what I say to people is if you care, to, if it's a farm you have, if it's a house you have, if it's, if, if it's a bank account you have, making sure you understand the process and just putting a mechanism in place that they can take that on and inherit that. Frank Conway, thank you very much.